Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the newsroom to the nursery, we're juggling a demanding career on live television with the demands of motherhood. I'm Katie. I'm Karen. And I'm Ingrid. They are anchor moms. Hi, Anchor Moms listeners. This week, we are tackling a subject that we think is really important. Like a lot of you at home, we have been watching the news and watching what's really happening around the globe. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about George Floyd, the death of George Floyd, and of course, uh, the demonstrations that have been occurring in cities across America and really, as I mentioned, ac- across the world. We wanted to bring in some experts because, of course, we acknowledge that we are white women with white kids who could really take on this subject and give us some advice on how we should talk to our children about this this subject, the subject of racism, um, of racial equality. So we brought in um, some some folks that we think really, um, really nail it for us. It really it was a really eye-opening conversation. All right, so we just want to jump right into this. Thank you so much for joining us, ladies. And before we have this conversation, if you would just go ahead and introduce yourselves so that uh, folks listening know who you are. I'll start. Uh, My name is Elizabeth. I'm a licensed clinical social worker here in Asheville. I work at UNCA part-time and I have a private practice part-time where I do equine-assisted psychotherapy, which is therapy, mental health therapy using horses. Um, And I, yeah, and I, I use the terms African-American or black or brown pretty interchangeably for myself. (laughs) For yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Great. I am Denye Eicher. I am the equity director over at Rainbow Community School. Um, I conduct equity trainings throughout the area. Um, I also sit on the national board of Mocha Moms, which is a national organization and sisterhood that supports mothers of color. So that leads me to my most important role, and that is mommy. Yay! <laughs> to lovely seven and 10-year-olds. And I am, oh, nice. am African-American and Black, and I think that's part of the discussion because people are so totally confused about what these terms mean. Perfect. Yeah. We'll definitely get into that in just a minute. (laughs) And Poonam? I am Poonam Medina and um, I'm Indian. I work with Colorful Pages Coalition. It's a local mom-run organization. We raise money and with that money buy books of color written by people of color and donate them into school classrooms. Um, So the kids have an extensive library and have awareness and start that conversation early on within schools and in their homes about race. Wonderful. Well, welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We want to start with, and anyone can join in and jump in on any of these questions. What is an accurate definition of racism? (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) You know what? I don't need that much time because I, in its simplest form, the way I typically um, define it for audiences is uh, racism is prejudice plus power. Mm-hmm. And in its most simple form, that's what it is. So I think that, and it's important that we start to define these terms for our young people because otherwise they're just throwing terms around. And in all truth, we all are, like adults all the time are throwing terms around with no idea what it means. So I would say, you know, there's a basic everyday prejudice that we all have. And then, but that would be nothing to any of us if it were not backed up by an historical and systemic power to inflict damage on people's lives. And the hard reality, I think, for people to hear is that that power is disproportionately enacted upon people of color. 
Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, do you have anything to add? Sure. Yeah, I think that that's a that's beautifully explained. I think that you're so right that the um, defining the terms for kids when they're young is so important because I can't tell you how many times I've been working with a kid in my practice and they've mentioned the color of someone's skin and then another kid will say, oh, that's racist, just mentioning it because um, they and and the adults in their life often have a misunderstanding of what racism is. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that simple explanation. So Elizabeth, when you're when you're helping these children and talking to them and something like that comes up, how do you respond and how do you kind of um, help fix that issue? Ooh, um, the word fix isn't quite right. Um, I think it's more about guiding and education and kids are so much more open to t- hearing about this than their parents and adults are. So usually when I can say, you know, actually, that's not the t- that's not exactly what's going on. Can we talk about that? Um, they get it pretty quick. Kids, you know, kids see color just as much as adults do, but they're so much more, they have such an easier time talking about it and accepting um, the differences that people have. I think that kids start noticing the differences within our skin color very early on. They're very curious and they notice the difference. So it's important to start talking about it at an early age so it doesn't become an uncomfortable conversation later on. So when you say early age, yeah, how early? (laughs) As early as when they start talking. So that they have, yeah, as early as you can, you know, like start with the board books, start with the books early on. So they're seeing all these different colors of different people that their world is surrounded by. Mm -hmm. So I have a two-year-old right now. Are you guys saying that it's time to start having that conversation with her? And if so, how do I go about that? She does have a couple of board books that do have some people of color in them, but what else can I do or how do I start? So I think it's important, one, um, when we talk about, like, we actually know that children are seeing color Mm -hmm. from the moment they are actually seeing color. Right. So they recognize from the time that they are obviously when they are first born, they, they you know, there's all the science that they aren't seeing color, like even on papers and all the things. But as soon like they notice immediately that people are of different colors. The thing I think that p- parents are not understanding is they are also noticing our reactions mm-hmm. around and toward people of color. So it is not noticing color that is problematic. It is noticing and the ways that we're teaching them that the color, that colors matter in people, right? We want children to notice color and, and we don't want like this myth that we should be a colorblind society mm-hmm. is completely inaccurate, right? Like I want people to see that I am black because it means something. It just doesn't mean that I am undereducated, under-resourced and all of the um, pathologies that we attach to it, right? Mm-hmm. So um so it's important that that um, we allow children the freedom to express like that they see color and just guide them through it. So when they say in the store something about that person with dark skin or that black person or why is that person's skin brown, what I often see are parents kind of reacting and shh, right? which tells a child that not only is does that person have pigment to their skin or is a black person or a brown person, it also tells, tells a child that that's a problem and mm-hmm. that we aren't supposed to talk about it. Now we have problems, right? And so I would say to you, it's not just, so, yes, have books with people of color, but in a, in a society that the entire narrative around diversity, and I'm saying that in quotation marks, um, is false, right? So I, I try not to say minority. I try to say people of the global majority because the, the, more, the more accurate thing is that people of color are the, are the global majority, right? So it's just that in our society, we treat people of color as the other. So I, like my, my effort is to have the majority of our dolls and books be people of color and then we can have, then we can go up with a healthy understanding of what our world actually is, and then go into, as they get older, and it's developmentally appropriate, talking about the ways power 
and the society around us, television, books, um, music, all the things treat people of color as if there is another. And then I think from that foundation, there can be a healthier approach to race. Can I add to that? Um, I really resonating with what you said in the beginning um, about, about parents being able to have that dialogue with their children, because you're right, they're seeing how the parents are responding and they're modeling that. Um, and one thing that I tell parents all, parents and adults, yes, parents all the time, is that it's not enough, of course, to just teach your child about racism and different people, different colors of people in the global majority, but you also have to be embodying that and modeling that in your own life. So don't just buy your kids' books of with colorful people or dolls with colorful people. Um, if the people that you're, an adults that you're surrounded with in your own life are also all white and all able-bodied and all neurotypical, right. um, because that's teaching, a, that's a dissonance. So I like to tell parents that they need to start with themselves and their circles too, and the books that they're consuming and the music that they're listening to, because then the kid is getting it soaked up and immersed in their life already, and there doesn't necessarily, I mean, there has to be additional work, but it's not as big of a leap because you're already doing it. Mm -hmm. And to echo both of your sentiments, I think that the parent has to do their own work behind the scenes internally so they are comfortable with what they're going to be talking about. If they're shushing the kid in the grocery store, there's obviously discomfort within the parent that the parent has to work through their own things before they can come sit down or you know have this conversation with their child. And when I mean come sit down, the conversation shouldn't be like, let's sit down and have this conversation. The conversation should be in bite-sized pieces, you know, getting digested all the time. So right. can so you give us some, some tangible? I'm sorry, I was gonna say, if we're watching Disney movies, right? At some point, the easy conversation to have is, um, do, do the movies, does this movie and the, all the movies look like the world around us, right? What color, what do princesses look like? What do princes look like, right? Um, and and I, I, use these, I use these opportunities all the time with my children to talk about race and um, fairness, justice, what it means to be a good friend, because that's an important part of it as well. So. And so, um, you know, back to the grocery store example, um, Obviously, I think we can all see that's not the right response to to shush the child. But what is what what response would you like to hear? Just you know, breaking it down to a very um, clear example. If the child is really young, you know, what kind of responses should we be starting out with in those situations? If you see like a black person or mm -hmm. uh, any person of color in the grocery store, and they and they point it out. Mm -hmm. I think you acknowledge it absolutely. That person, that person is black. Or so, and we we are just audio, so you can't see Panam. Um, Panam and I are, are friends, so I'm well aware of what she looks like. But Panam is, of course, Indians vary in shades, just like African Americans do, just like um, the Latinx community does. Um, and so one might. So if you see, for instance, if there's a black person in the store and a child is pointing it out, I would personally say, uh, of course, I'm not white, so this is a bit of a dishonest <laughs> discussion. <laughs> but, um, you know, say, yes, that person is, is black and we refer to them as black. Um, and what might look at the child and say, so what color is your skin or what color is mommy's skin? Um, we are, we all come in so many different colors, just like and then whatever toy or that um, that is a favorite of theirs. And this is what makes the world so beautiful, particularly if they're as young as um, your two-year-old, right? And as we get older, the conversation can change. But by the time they're older, they probably are not pointing that out because they've probably gotten the message that it's inappropriate. Now, I wanted to use Punim. Punim, is it okay if I use you as an example? Absolutely. Punim is a, is a dark-skinned Indian, right? And so... Um, there, you know, if a child is older and Punam is not black, she would not identify as black, or I don't think she would identify as black. Or I wouldn't. Because it would be really uh, inaccurate. But you might say, um, like there's a, an easy discussion to have is, so she's not black, but she is Indian. And that's a lovely 
part of the world and but we have people of different national backgrounds in this country. Part of what makes our country so strong is that we have people who come from all parts of the world to, to take part in our culture. And that is a way we start teaching the value of, of the ideals of our country, even if it's not the lived experience of our country. Really great advice. I like the way that you explain that. Why do you think I, you just answered that in such an obvious fashion? Like, duh, this is what you would say. But I feel like for me, for myself, gosh, I'm so, why am I so nervous just to say that? Why do you, is it where the times that we're living in? It's just so funny that, as you just said, what you just said, that's a black person. Why is it so complicated? Because, because been, you are, I'm sorry, go ahead. Elizabeth. No, that's okay. Um, uh, you weren't socialized to talk about it. Brown people, brown and black people have been socialized to talk about it because it's a safety issue for us. We need to know the temperature of the room and the color of the people in the room. And we need to know when we're entering white spaces. Um, and we need to know what, what we can do and what we can't do, how we can behave, how we can't behave. Um, and it's necessary for us to know how our skin impacts the people around us because it's a, it's a question of survival. Um, and people who have white skin or who are white passing don't have to think about that and therefore don't have those discussions. And we're probably socialized. Well, they're likely socialized um, and under the same circumstances that Danae was talking about where they were shushed in the grocery store when they tried to say like, oh, that person is a different color rather than being validated. What were you going to say, Danae? I was going to say exactly that, right? I think that um, for the most part, white folks in this country have been raised, particularly those white folks who were raised in homes that said everyone's created equal, right? And and it's all fair. But those are also the households where people say things like, when they're talking about people, then they whisper black, right? When a black person is around, and I'm like, I'm I'm aware that I'm black. I don't even know why they're whispering. <laughs> <laughs> the whisper thing is so uncomfortable I can't tell you how many times people have come to meet me out somewhere like sight unseen or um, meeting them for a meeting or whatever and nobody will and they will say oh I think that's Elizabeth she's tall she's got big oh. hair. And I'm like I'm a black woman just say I'm black just just say it <laughs> right um, and I think it's also important that we talk about it so that our children know that it's okay because, you know, I'll give you an example. Last year, my daughter was in preschool and so nobody ever talked about her color and that she was different. Um, so then at the end of the year, after have also having, some, having had some racial experiences, she told me that she wanted to be white and she thought her color was ugly. And so now when we are talking to other parents and, you know, when we have um, equity training in our classrooms, um, we're asked as people of color, what do you want other parents, other white parents to know about your child? Or what do you want other parents to know so they can talk to their children? And I always say, please point out that she is different, that she is a person of color, that she's Indian. And my daughter is actually half Cuban and half Indian. And so please educate your children so they see who she is and where she comes from and they don't make her feel like, oh, you know, like you're just like us because she has a different background and it's, she needs to value that and she needs to have that validation from her friends. Celebrating that rather than trying exactly. to hide it or pretend like it doesn't exist. Right, yeah. right. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit into what's going on in the world right now. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, I've been struggling with this personally. W what age do we, you know, my, my children are young. My oldest just turned five. Um, and so they don't really watch the news yet. Um, but, but, you know, it, when is the right age to introduce them to what is going on right now in our current climate and how to explain that to children? My, well, I think the others will have a better answer to that um, than I do, but I kind of wanted to point out, even in your question, um, I'm hearing the cautiousness around just naming what's going on, like what right. the nebulousness of what's going on in the world and what we're picking up on. Um, I think your question is, 
how do we approach this topic of racism given the racism that's happening in our country with racism, mm -hmm. naming it? Right, no, good point, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, the, you know, this is a challenging one. Um, so we have, at the school, we have been operating with a, a list of stages and, and phases in which developmental stages and phases for children and when they are recognizing racism, right? It's, it's, not, it's not even said that, that way, but it's stages and um, phases of like racial development, identity, awareness. And so there is that, but I also want to point out to those parents who are listening, especially those white parents who are listening, that um, parents of color generally are having discussions with their children of color at a younger age than white parents are. So for white parents, there, there seems to be a protectiveness, right? And a desire to um, hold and maintain childhood or as long as possible. Whereas um, black and brown parents and parents, of, and parents of color in general, I won't say parents of color in general, although I, I think it's probably true, but in this moment, black and brown parents specifically, and by black and brown, I mean black people, black as in people of African descent, and brown as in people of color who are not black, right? And so it, it's Punam, it's people who come from the Middle East, it's Latinx folks, right? Um, that we have to have those conversations early with our children because it, their lives literally depend upon it. So Tamir Rice, if you remember a few years ago, was playing in a park with a toy gun, something that little boys do and little girls do, frankly, all the time and his life was taken away he was stolen from his mother his father his sisters right his family because of this thing called racism that white parents don't want to talk to their children about and so i say start early and statistics show us that as early as nine years old little black boys are seen as older and more threatening and worse like worse behaved than, than nine-year-old little white boys. We know that at as early as five, little black girls are seen as over-sexualized and more sexualized and sassier than little white girls. Now, first of all, that's shocking, but we know that that's happening because we can look at disciplinary rates and the disparity between disciplinary rates for, for black and brown children as early as five, as compared to white children. So denying that this is happening doesn't serve doesn't serve anyone in this country. So uh, my children, I think I talked to Katie, I, 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 am, I am a former journalist. And because of that, because since, gosh, 1990, my morning started with news, my mornings continue to start with news, even though I am, I am no longer doing it. And so my children have always watched the news. Now, are there moments when I want to shield them? Absolutely, but I can't always do it. So we were in a barbershop with my son the moment America watched Philando Castile being shot. So my son is watching someone who effectively looks like him die on television at a, I mean, he must have been maybe first or second grade, because I guess it wasn't that long ago. And so I have to have a conversation with him about what's going on and what does that mean? And so I think for white parents, one of the things that I hope that you'll consider is that um, we actually have to, I just had this conversation with a nation, nationwide with, with black mothers last night. Um, we have to both tell our children to turn to police for instance, for safety, and we have to tell them how to behave at a very young age, right? To protect themselves from police. That is an unfair burden. So we have to have a conversation. So it just starts very early in, in our household. Um, you mentioned police and I, and I had this question too. Uh, my children are white, so maybe the conversation is different, maybe it's not, but how do we explain the role of police officers to our children? Are they our heroes? Are they people to fear? How do we go about that discussion? I think, well, I mean, go ahead, Elizabeth. Um, thank you. Um, it's certainly not as 
binary as being heroes or people to fear, um, certainly because the way our society is structured, um, we have police in the role that they have to tend to such a diverse um you can you you have you you have to call them for so many different things that we at, it, just as Janae was saying we want people we want our children to know that they can they have someone to call in the event that they need someone to protect them because the mission you know of course is to serve and protect but at the same time we have to teach them some caution so it's not as binary i don't think as being good or bad i think we have to um we have to remember that as black folk teaching black and brown people teaching black and brown children, that here is the reality of what we're seeing. And also here is the intention of what, what we would hope that they would be able to do. So it's kind of hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And, and I think it's really important that, I mean, this moment has been, I think for a lot of people kind of boiled down to the police and, and the police, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a different conversation than policing, right? And so policing is an institution in and of itself that does not necessarily involve police, right? And so Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, was killed because of racialized violence and policing, but there were no police involved. Does that make sense? Like, but he and his freedoms and his movements were being policed by a system of racialized violence, right? And so, so when we're seeing the protests out there, it's not just about police violence, it's about the racialized violence in a culture that polices black bodies. And we have to be able, to, as adults, to draw those distinctions to determine when our children are ready to draw those distinctions. So, I would say, and I, and I had the, you know, I have the experience of my father is a retired sheriff's deputy. So, my father is a good guy, and my father was law enforcement, and those two things for me were not, um, were not mutually exclusive. They were one and the same because police, right, the actual people, group of people we call police, are really just a reflection of our overall general society. So there are people, and we call them police, who are charged with coming to help us when we need help, right? That is a fact. And in your world as white parents, assuming that everyone, I don't readily identify everyone who appears to be white as white, so I wanna be clear about that. Um, um, in that world, police are good people who are there to help, right? And that's very true. And so we can say, just like every other um, profession and every other group of people though, and this, and this is not the same thing as saying there are a few bad apples. This is the same thing as saying, we all are capable of making devastating decisions that impact tragically other people's lives. And so in this case, they're, for very young kids, I would say, in this case, they're police who did that. And unfortunately, it's happening and has always happened far too often. Because even one bad apple, when it comes to someone with a gun killing someone, is a, one bad apple too many. The important, the nuance that's being, I think, missed here for children is to also point out there were other officers there who also were not doing their duty. They may or may not have contributed directly to George Floyd's death. So the other part of the conversation is you are as culpable if you are not stepping in and defending things when you see them going wrong as the person who's committing the, the crime or the sin or however we want to talk about it. So there, I mean, this time is ripe with lessons for even the youngest of our kids, right? On how to be in this society that we all live in together. Mm -hmm. Can I just add too that what you're talking about too is like a, it, just the cross sections of institution and and out and people standing by and allowing things to happen. It it is necessary to start by talking about race 
with your children. Just if you can't have the conversation, but about identifying the person in the grocery store, you definitely can't talk about everything that Danae is mentioning. That's so important. Right. So um, that's that you've got to people need parents, especially need to start working on their stamina for addressing these topics at the ground level, which means just saying I am white and here's what that or white passing. And here's what that means in this society. And I think it's important to have those conversations early on with their kids so they can identify these things happening in their world, in their classrooms, in the playground, so that they can also call out racism when it's happening and they can show up as an ally to their friends who are black or brown. Right. Definitely. So on that note, you know, we've, we talked about how, how children identify race. How do we respond to our children? Obviously not our children because they're too young. Um, the anger mom's children, but how do we respond to our children if they make a racist remark? What is the best way to respond as a parent? My first question to the parent is what would you consider a racist remark? Right? Because it's coming from somewhere. So some parents would say the racist remark is naming race to begin with. Right? Mm. And and wow. most parents, right, like most kids, until a certain age, right, most kids are running around using the N-word or saying, I want to kill Black people, right? <laughs> so, like, if you had gotten that far down the line, you've got a series of problems, <laughs> right? So the question is, what is in between that people are considering racist and hard to talk about? Mm-hmm. My reaction to that would be to ask the child what does that mean to you where did that come from um tell me more about that mm-hmm. rather than immediately swiftly coming down saying no we don't say those things no we don't no we don't no we don't um because often we tell children no without giving them the spectrum of alternatives or giving them something to do we say don't without saying don't do this without saying yes do this um so being I think it's important that there's no shame involved in it yes you know they're they're children and they're just expressing a curiosity Mm -hmm. and so it's very important that there's no shame so that later on they continue to feel safe in expressing their curiosities Mm -hmm. because if you shame them without explaining they're going to keep they're going to keep up with some of those terms and ideology, but they're going to do it behind closed doors and it's going to grow. So if you keep it out in the open and say like saying, I want to know more about your experience and what happened for you. And you said that, where did you hear that? Where did that come from? Um, it keeps the door open. So what are some resources aside from us as parents that we can get for our kids, uh, buy for our kids? What are, what are some other ways um, to talk about this in a, a good, healthy way that helps them, them learn? Uh, Poonam, I know that you um, are involved, of course, in your initiative um, of getting books into schools. But, uh, talk a little bit about that and then just some other things that we can do. So I, we have an extensive list of books that we just keep an ongoing list of that's ever growing. Um, that I'm happy to send you as a resource to send to your listeners as well as you moms. Um, The other thing is there's a lot of podcasts available. There's a a wealth of information, especially right now. Um, I was listening to Abram Candy last night. He is an amazing um, author that just talks a lot about owning the racism, just saying, yeah, I am racist because there's no space in between racism and anti-racism you know Mm. there's no like in between and just owning where you are and just going from there you know there's always a space of learning and accepting everything that comes up and it's a process And, and something punam said earlier that is so key to this discussion, right? Um, parents want to jump into having conversations about race with their children without being able to have the conversation about race at Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so it is so important that we are educating ourselves. And luckily here in Asheville and Western North Carolina, so this area, I mean, there's just so much available. I, Venom here has heard this before. I'm sure Elizabeth is aware of like 
two amazing trainings that happen often in this area. So one is Building Bridges, which is unique to Asheville and Western North Carolina. Um, and the other is, and that's offered twice a year. It's a nine week uh, course, I would say. It's a nine week experience that you spend two hours um, on one night every, every week um, with this cohort of, I don't know, usually between 70 and 100 people talking openly and learning about race and racism and how it shows up right here where we are, how it shows up in education all day, every day, how it shows up in healthcare, right, Elizabeth, all day, mm -hmm. every day, how it shows up in the criminal justice system. And what so many folks who come to Asheville are unaware of is how it has shown up historically in housing that makes Asheville look the way that it looks, right? And that's a conversation that we aren't having because there are lots mm -hmm. of great folks who are coming to Asheville, um, buying homes for, well, actually now for a lot of money and not even recognizing the way that the very neighborhood they live in um, was a part of a tragic disruption of a thriving black community here in Asheville. And so we need to be able to have those conversations. Building Bridges allows that. Um, and we also bring in REI, which is the racial, not REI, the sports store, <laughs> <laughs> REI, Racial Equity Institute, which is a two-day intensive um, that we bring in trainers for. And I say we, because I'm just a part of a local group of organizers who, who, who take part in organizing these trainings. Um, and you can do that right here in Asheville uh, several times a year. So it's all available. And if you aren't inclined to do that, there are lots of, this is just, this is for adults now, right? Um, there's so many easy things to go to out there. Poonam talked about Dr. Ibram Kendi. Um, he has, he, he has, he wrote a book a few years ago called Stamped from the Beginning, which is very academic, but most recently um, he joined with Jason Reynolds, who was a young adult author, right? Um, and, and to sort of revise that book for younger audiences, it's just called Stamped and it's, very accessible and easy read, um, and it's great for adults as well. He's also recently written How to Be an Anti-Racist. I would pick that up. Um, there's a, an amazing podcast that we, we talk about all the time called Seen on Radio, like Seen, S-C-E-N-E, and the, the season that is, I think, important to this discussion is Seeing White, right? So it's a fabulous podcast. There's no way to even describe it on this on this podcast at the moment, but I would say go listen to it. Um, and white folks, read Waking Up White by Debbie Irving, just to get an entry level understanding of your earlier question, why is it so hard to say even black, <laughs> right? Um, and White Fragility by mm -hmm. Robin D'Angelo. I think that those are just some easy steps in for, for particularly white folks who are trying to have this discussion. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is, is that before we can talk to our kids, uh, white moms, white parents really need to sort of look inside themselves and educate themselves first. Mm -hmm. I would but not say just, you can't wait, just do both at the same time. Yes, Yeah. both at the mm -hmm. same time, both at the same time. And it's okay to tell your kids that you're on a journey too. I really, really advocate for parents telling their kids, I don't know everything. I'm still learning. I might mess this up. I might make mistakes. We both might make mistakes, but I'm learning at the same time you are. And that's a journey that we're on together. And I think also I humanizing, like humanizing the whole situation, um, helping the kids make the connection. So if you see a black person in the grocery store, it's okay to stop and say hi. So your child feels like, oh, okay, we're talking to a black person. It's just life as usual, part of my day. But, you know, if their bubble doesn't include a black person or person of color in their day to day life, what the one time they have an experience, it's going to be uncomfortable. That makes me think, too, that why wait for your kid to bring it up? If you see people of color in your world, name it yeah. so that they can take the initiative and see, you know, they're already seeing these, all these colors around them. But if you say if you bring it up first, then they can feel empowered to start having these discussions, too because it's there. And to boil it down, let's be clear about what we're seeing in this moment. George Floyd's death is the direct result of a narrative that we have in this country about who black people are specifically, right? And so 
someone who was accused right. of like a, a crime that had to do with $20, right? So first it's just an accusation, a suggestion. And then even if he were guilty, it is $20, right? And so what about that? And what about him was so threatening and so invaluable that it cost him his life? And so the narrative that we have about who black and brown people are in this country is what is, the, is at the root of this problem. Well, part of what's at the root of this problem. And so, and that narrative comes from, and I'm going to say specifically white folks, but other, and sometimes other folks of color as well, not being open up enough about, or not even being able to see the value and the beauty and the humanity in George Floyd. So what would happen if you all as white moms were to see the black woman in the grocery store, whether or not your child pointed out, you made it a point to find something positive about that person, whether or not you know her, right? Um, and I hate, I don't want it to always boil it down to physical beauty, but some way of humanizing black people and brown people um, when, when we see them, when you see them, openly in front of your children so that our children develop a language and an appreciation for the humanity in that person because they already have an appreciation and, hum and humanity about whiteness. Like that is given everywhere we are. We have, you don't have to do any work to find value in whiteness, but we, we do have to go take the extra step to constantly make sure that our children and that we ourselves are finding value and people of color. Well and said. To add that as a as a person of color having a, a half Indian child, um, I still point out black people and people of color to my daughter so that mm -hmm. she sees that positive in her world, in her own world, and living in a white, mostly white town, she sees that okay, I'm a person of color and I'm appreciated. I, I bring value to this. So I'm constantly pointing out, like, did you see that brown person? Did you see that black person? And we stop and talk to them. I will compliment women and, you know, so that she knows, okay, well, I see a part of me in them. And, and I talk, um, in, in, in our household, it's important at various points to talk about the variation and shades of blackness because um, I don't I, I don't identify my children as mixed race. I identify them explicitly and intentionally as African American, and my husband is white, right? And so um, and and I point that out to them um, that because there is this thing about proximity to whiteness and the value of that, right? So. Um, because I actually want to fight back against this idea that there's somehow more value in them because they, they, in some and they have, you know, they, they are lighter, right? Um, I insist that they identify as African-American. When they are older, they can make their own choices. But my job as a parent is to give them a foundation, right? And people push back on that a lot for me. And I say, when we're Christian, there's no pushback against giving our children a Christian foundation. So why is there pushback? Like, what are we saying when there's pushback about my giving intentionally my children a firm African-American foundation, right? Because their father is valued. They are, they are clear, even if they can't articulate it, the ways in which he walks through the world with value, right? What they need to understand is while they may have lighter skin, and one has skin that's light, that's markedly lighter than the other, that black people in this country, that they are not different from black people in this country, that to be African-American is to be mixed race. There's not, there, you know, there's a minimal number of us that are not somewhere mixed race. And I don't mean massa in the slave cabin, right? I think that we tell ourselves these stories, right? We don't understand that even in the 60s and 70s when many black women were working as domestics, men in those households were continuing to commit sexual abuse among, on those women, right? And so many lynchings right, of, of black men were happening to get them out of the way. So that's not a conversation you wanna have with a two-year-old, but as adults, we need to understand that. And my children need to understand that they are not a different kind of black people 
they are just black people. They are regular, everyday African-Americans that have existed in this country from the moment Africans were brought here to be enslaved. So like we all have to have these conversations with our children. I was gonna ask, I, I can't tell you how, what a wealth of knowledge and information you guys are. Um, you know, for other white moms out there wondering how to, how to kind of address all of this, um, what, do you have, you know, is there one kind of takeaway you wish that white moms would do for their children? Is there one big mistake that you think a lot of white moms make um, kind of, is there any advice, you know, what would be the, kind of the one, one thing you, you want to make sure that, that white moms hear in all this? I would say to talk to your children, acknowledge now that there is a problem because we haven't been talking about this. And, you know, all of like Danielle mentioned earlier, we as black parents and parents of color have been talking about this. So we're not the problem. You know, the problem became that other parents haven't been talking about it. And so let's start the conversation. Yeah, I'm going to endorse that. Um, one, th one thing that um, when I think about Panam and Colorful Pages, that's also important is every book um, about that includes black and brown children, for instance, or black and brown people, does not have to be about the struggle. We yeah. should teach the struggle. That's very important, right? Uh, but we should also have books that have Jamal and Kiana, and the names could be Becky and Brent, if they are black, because that happens too, right? But where the black character is just living his or her or their lives <laughs> and happen to be people of color, like that's, that's also important. And yeah. also exposing them to all the positive things that black and brown people have done in, in history and, you know, just around us in our everyday life. And like Danielle said, introducing books that are fiction and nonfiction so that it's just weaved into your everyday life. Yeah, I don't, teach with both of you don't teach Columbus anymore. Yeah, no more of that. Elizabeth? I was just saying I resonate with what both of you said. That's when I read the questions initially, I wrote down both of those things. So I'm glad you all said them. Is there anything that you guys want to add just quickly here that we didn't touch on? Is there anything we're missing? <laughs> is, there, is there something we didn't ask that you said that you're thinking? Why didn't they ask that? Why did they ask that? That's obvious. Or, or um, I, I, mean. I had written down this quote that I want to leave you guys with. We cannot give our children what we do not have by Brene mm -hmm. Brown that I found it found to be really powerful, uh, powerful and resonate deeply with is, you know, to keep that with us. And, you know, we want the best for our children. And if we don't have that, if we don't have racial awareness and we have that discomfort, then what are we go get, going to give our children? And, and at this time, when I'm seeing people quote Dr. King, um, and, they, and they're quoting him as a way to skirt justice, as opposed to a way to move forward with justice, I would like to also add that he, he said most pointedly that the problem, and I'm not quote, I'm not, it's a paraphrase, um, that the problem with racism in America is not the problem of the Klan right, or the white supremacist groups. The problem is those good people who are not standing up and speaking out. So, and that we won't remember what the, the Klansmen said, right? We won't remember what our enemy said. We will remember the silence of those who have chosen not to speak up and step up. And I would encourage you all to not make this the last conversation, right? So. Too often the conversation is happening when somebody has been killed, which is just one other way of tying the experience of people of color to tragedy, right? Yes. Let's tie the conversation about people of color to our complete American, the fullness of American society, because this would not be America if we were not here.
I really resonate with that. Just not having the end of the conversation is not now. The beginning of the conversation should not have been someone's death. We should be having this conversation. We should have been having this conversation a long time ago, but um, two weeks from now, two months from now, five years from now, we still need to be having this same conversation. Um, hopefully not in the wake of the death of somebody, but this exact conversation still needs to be happening in various iterations. We cannot tell you guys enough how grateful we are for you guys coming on and, and um, just explaining all of this and giving us a lot of really good information and a lot of uh, good things to think about and, and uh, some guidance on where to start in having these conversations with our kids. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. We, I, we Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. So, I mean, this was um, honestly really powerful and really enlightening. I think, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think we can say thank you enough. Yeah. Eye-opening. I was taking notes. I'm going to listen back in great detail to everything that you ladies have said, because I think we all have a lot of work to do. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys. Have a good Thanks, one. ladies. And Anchor Moms is brought to you by Wilderness at the Smokies, the Smokies' largest water park resort. Get out of the house and into the wilderness. Again, huge thank you to Danielle, Poonam, and Elizabeth. Uh, everything that they said in that conversation, I think, was so true and so heartfelt. And I really appreciate them bringing that expertise and that knowledge and advice to all of us. Yeah, I'm going to go home and have a conversation with River today. So I appreciate it. Um, it was things that I hadn't thought about. And uh, like we said before, just very eye-opening. I really enjoyed this conversation. And of course, not just conversations with our children, but conversations with our spouses. And um, some, you know, some, some deep time, I think, uh, looking within ourselves, too, um, on all of these topics. Um, it was heavy, but I think we, we learned a lot from these wonderful women who um, not only helped us today, but really help our community as well. So a big shout out to them. And we do want to let you guys know too, we have all, they, they are sending us a, a lot of resources, information, places where you can go to learn more. So we have a lot of information in our show notes this week as well. So be sure to check those out too. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, have guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening.